Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists of the regenerative movement, people who are committed to a planetary purpose. My name is Julian Guderlei, and today this episode is part of the Rehuman series, I'm hosting an interview with Sandy Wiggins. And Sandy draws on a lifetime of work in support of sustainable communities and evolutionary consciousness. His current focus is working with individuals, communities, and organizations that are stepping out of the dominant paradigm to explore new possibilities for life on Earth through the Great Transition Project, Future Tide Partners, and his consultancy, Consilience. He is a national leader in equitable economies, environmental sustainability, and the transformation of finance. He's the past chair of Bali, past chair of US Green Building Council, founding chair of Green Business Certification Institute, and founding chair of Green Building United. His skillful facilitation has given birth to regional sustainability, public policy, and sustainable master plans across the country. He's a lifelong student of Eastern and Western wisdom traditions and a certified integrative breath worker. So this will make for a great conversation with these words. Welcome, Sandy. Thank you, Julian. So good to be here. Yeah, I'm excited, as I often am at the beginning of these episodes, um, to dive into your world and your way of thinking. And also, you know, I just said it before we hit record, the Eastern and Western traditions from breathwork to Kriya Yoga to silent meditation, they seem to connect a lot of us that are really active um, in what I call the regenerative kind of movement. Yeah. I'm curious, what's your take on, on maybe why or how these, these practices seem to work for us? Yeah, so I think they, they work for us or people come to them who are working in the emergent edge of change. Uh, be honestly, because I feel like this is the evolutionary trajectory of the human family. And uh, for me, the light bulb really went off uh it's now almost 20 years ago it is 20 years ago <laughs> um when i was deeply involved with the u.s green building council which was at that time really at the center of the green building movement in the united states and in other parts of the globe as well and uh, i was fortunate enough to have a front row seat to everything that was happening there, was involved in the development of some of the lead rating systems, and, and I chaired the organization for a period of time, uh, a time when it was going through explosive growth. Uh, and in the midst of that time, uh, I was spending the majority of my personal time traveling around the US and other parts of the globe, preaching the gospel of green, meeting with communities of business people, and what I began to notice was that the engine that was driving the change, the motive force, had nothing to do with green buildings or lead or the environment. It was the internal transformation that was occurring in people. So people were coming into the green building world uh, on lots of different ladders or, or rungs of what I call the ladder of awareness. So sometimes they would enter on a very low rung, you know, it's like business development. This was the hot new uh, market. They needed to have a have market share, so they would enter, but they would enter, they would start to learn. At some point, the light bulb would go off for them. 
and they would begin to see the world in a different way. They'd see their relationship to the world in a different way. They'd start to see what they were doing in their jobs in a different way and then every aspect of their lives. And this internal transformation, as I said, is what I started to recognize as the engine that was really driving the change. Mm. So I became, I, I mean, I've, I've been a lifelong seeker, let's say, and I actually came out of the business world uh, into the green building community. Um, and that recognition really reignited my own uh, internal quest and um, sent me on a, a long journey of trying to understand how do you support people in this uh, internal evolution, because I began to, I mean, I realized then, and I've seen this phenomenon repeated, the two other communities that I've been deeply involved with over the last 20 years are the local living economy world, Valley you mentioned. So, so I, I also chaired that organization for a long period of time. That's the Business Alliance for Local Living Economies. And uh, the world of impact or mission investing. And I've seen this phenomenon happen in those communities as well. So people enter, they get engaged in the process of change. At some point, they start to transform themselves. If, they, if they're not already on this path of internal growth and transformation, they get engaged. Mm -hmm. And that really becomes the motive force for these massive systems changes. So... I don't know if I'm answering your original question, but that 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 recognition for me really has become central to the work that I do today. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely an answer to the original question that like that recognition leads us to then continue the path of internal transformation, which I mean, everyone listening who's on this path of internal transformation, it never stops, right? It never stops. And, and so breath, I, I teach breath work as well. And, you know, longtime yogi and meditator, I think, mm -hmm. um, it's like you go through phases just like we go through phases in the external worlds of transformation but i want to like check in a little bit deeper because i i know you you come from a successful business background and, and then kind of transition that that would be interesting to hear more of but but first i want to really i want to really like ask you what is the you know the prospects of the world ahead like what is really needed in this change now especially when you preface it with it's already been 20 years for you and sometimes it looks like um, it's all a green light on green building, on green evolution, et cetera. But then it, it actually took quite a bit longer than it would, you know, mm -hmm. could have reasonably taken. So, so what do you think does the world need most right now? Yeah, I think what the world needs most is the evolution of consciousness. The, um, from where I sit, the convergence of the many adversity trends that are facing us climate change just being one, you know, of many, but it's, it's sort of the one that's on the forefront of everyone's consciousness, but, you know, we've got climate change, species extinction, um, you know, overpopulation of the planet, hyperconsumption, you know, decline of the world's fisheries and ocean acidification. I mean, it's just an endless list of, of these, megatrends that are all converging in our lifetimes. And then you have other uh, emerging trends that it's difficult to predict the outcome of, like 
emergent exponential technologies, artificial intelligence and machine learning. And, uh, and, uh, and we're at this very interesting nexus. There's no doubt in my mind that there is going to be a lot of suffering in the decades ahead. Uh, whether we are able to survive what's coming, I believe will depend on whether our consciousness evolves sufficiently, individually and collectively. And so for me, that, that is the path through the eye of the needle. And it's why I feel that's what's most needed in the world. Yeah, I mean, as you're saying it, the, the, the convergence of, of so many different challenges is really, um, it's both frightening, but it's at the same time, like the challenge that could totally unite humanity to awaken more and deeper and collectively that we're sharing this, this green planet, blue planet, this pale blue dot in space. Yes. So, so what are some of the, yeah, let's dive in deeper. I feel like there's a, a depth of wisdom in you there, especially in, in regards to the great transition report and, and the work mm -hmm. you've been doing with Dwayne Elgin that, that was on the show recently. Yeah. What are some of the trends and some of the, you know, the hopes and perspectives for this decade, because we're just starting 2020 going, going for 2030, mm -hmm. we have the sustainable development goals. We have some really ambitious things to achieve. And, and so we do have, you know, ambitious things to achieve and, uh, and we have goals like the sustainable development goals. I mean, some would argue they're not nearly ambitious enough for us to navigate the, uh, what is inevitably going to occur because of all these trends. The, um, I guess what, what comes up for me, Julian, is that hmm. so there's a, there's, a, there's a wonderful, uh, wonderful, fascinating book uh, written by a fellow named George Marshall, which I read not too long ago, called Don't Even Think About It. And it's uh, something I'd highly recommend to listeners who are interested in this topic because it, he's somebody that's been involved in climate change for a long, long time and just was getting so frustrated by the fact that people were not, not only not paying attention, but even the people that were paying attention weren't changing. They weren't changing their own behavior and they weren't trying to change behavior at, at more societal levels. And the big question for him was why? And the book is a fascinating treatise on the why, the, the psychological barriers we have to actually accepting what's occurring and leaning into it. We uh, talks a lot about co the cognitive bias that we bring to these issues. And so when we look ahead into the decade of the 2020s, I mean, this is like, to me, this is crunch time. I mean, all of these trends that I articulated a moment ago, they're coming together right now. And this cognitive bias, this inability that we're, we're wired with, that, you know, most, the great transition project that uh, Dwayne and I have been working on is a direct response to this because both of us uh, have witnessed for years 
people, even people who are active change agents, you know, working for social justice or environmental issues, still have a tendency to go through their daily life with the blinders on. The, the listeners can't see my hands, but I have them up next to my eyes. That, with, with the blinders on, there's, there's a kind of willful ignorance or soft denial that uh, because it's just too overwhelming, too hard to, to accept what's actually happening. And there's a, this overwhelm about like, you know, how can I actually make a difference in all this? Totally, it's very complex. Yeah. And, then, and then in some cases, it's very hard to even see alternative options also, right? Because- that, That's right, yeah. yeah. And so the tendency is to kind of contract and, uh, uh, you know, go into the state, the soft denial, willful ignorance, whatever you choose to call it. So that's, that's our biggest challenge is figure, and the Great Transition Project is, is an attempt to directly respond to that, to help people actually lean into what is actually happening right now. And, and part of this really has to be uh, working with our grief around all of this. That's something that is not, uh, it's not a standard part of our culture. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> an understatement, right? right. Like we, yeah. we live in the culture that wants, uh, wants everything to be amazing and happy and Right. And I know that that's wrong. I think I, I like being happy a lot. And yeah, <laughs> so do I. We all do. But, <laughs> but at the same uh, but, time, we don't know how to deal with topics like death right. or grief. Right. Our, our but, is very focused on the short term, right? Yeah. But there is, you know, we are, we are in a situation where there is loss already occurring. There's a lot of suffering occurring, and it's going to get worse. And so we need to be able to see that to express our grief around that, and then move you know, through the stages of grief to a place where we can accept what is actually occurring. And, the, and what we're trying to do with the Great Transition Project is also help people live into a different paradigm, a different way of seeing who we are and what we are on this planet, to, to step back from the paradigms that, uh, that have drive our culture, you know, and that go way back in terms of the lineage of thought, you know, goes back through Bacon and Descartes and, you know, all the way back, back to the Greeks to this, you know, we're in this world where we, without really realizing it, we automatically see ourselves as separate, isolated, you know, it's most prevalent in the United States, you know, where we have this culture that is grounded in radical individualism. And, uh, but there is a, there is a heritage of thought behind that, that, that goes back centuries. And so we see the world as a, a as a, the universe, as a clockwork universe. And um, where everything is separated from everything else, it's like a big machine. Right, like and a so, Newtonian way of, of looking at life. Exactly, you know, or Newtonian, Cartesian view of the world. And so, but what is emerging is a very different view of life. And it, it really is based, you know, uh, in, in some respects, it's tapping into uh, the deep wisdom traditions that have preceded our culture, 
So drawing on the wisdom of indigenous cultures, but it's also um, being magnified by the forefront of science and what we're learning about the way that reality is actually works and you know what the universe looks like. So both at the macro scale through uh, cosmology and astrophysics and at the micro scale through quantum physics. And so it's this, this convergence of these you know, deep wisdom traditions with modern science that are leading to this new paradigm where we see that the world, the universe, is, is, it's alive. And it's a deeply interconnected place. I mean, it's, yeah, that's, it's an, that's, not, that's really an understatement. It's, no, it's, it, it's, it's deeply alive, yeah. Right, right, deeply alive that everything is, is, is connected to everything else. And uh, that, you know, once, once you step across the threshold and you begin to see from this different paradigm, there's no going back. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, the work with the Great Transition Project and, and the, the other ventures that you mentioned, Future Tide Partners, you know, even the work that I do with Consilience these days, it's really all, no matter what the domain is, whether it's environmental, community, impact investing, future of work, uh, you know, uh, local living economies, the real work is finding ways to support people and stepping across that threshold mm -hmm. to see from this new place. It's, it's so curious what you're describing in, in such an eloquent way, because for one, the ancient wisdom traditions and the most, um, you know, we, we use the word primitive in our culture, the most primitive ways of living, and if we don't use it in a derogatory way, but the most simple nature-based ways of living, they come to the same connection and conclusion as the apex of our society, the ones that go into space, the astronauts, the ones that come back with what we call the overview effect, who look onto Earth and they're like, hey, wait a second, right. we live on a planetary system that is alive in the cosmos, spiraling through blackness in the Milky Way, following the sun, and, and we're not the only ones. And so, so it's, it's, it's almost a curiously funny paradox that the, 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 the ones who listen most to the, the trees, the mycelium nature, and the ones who went the furthest away from it both come to a similar understanding. Right. I think where, you know, like, so I'm, I'm fascinated by, the, by this since years. And for me, the philosophy of it is, 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 is delicious in that sense. However, I, I want to bring it in this conversation really down to, um, yeah, the, the transition in one's own life. Because the change of paradigms in the way of thinking, as you said, it makes you not be able to go back because living in a just consuming capitalist society at that point turns into like, it's just almost pointless. But then at the mm -hmm. same time, that consuming capitalist society has brought us to this point. So we don't have to, 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 we don't have to, to judge it. We just have to really uh, find a way to move on. And I think uh, this is where it is. It's, it's increasingly difficult. The more people we involve into conversations usually, because everyone has different mm -hmm. biases or different triggers where they're like, Oh, I don't believe that's possible. Or like, how could we? Um, because countries run the way they do and look at politics. It's a shit show. And look at, Look at the economy. People will not stop producing cheap plastic gifts. And, and so I'm a very hopeful person, but where, where does it take you? Like, what are those 
let's call them maybe no-brainer uh, shifts, the ones that are so close to our reality, like the low-hanging fruit where we could already be shifting more and increasingly so in 2020. So, well, first of all, I want to validate what you said a moment ago, Julian, that, it, you know, capitalism, neoliberalism, you know, the industrial economy have brought us to where we are today. And this isn't about denigrating them. To me, again, it, it's a matter of looking at all of this in the context of the evolutionary trajectory, not just of life on Earth, but of the whole universe, yeah. which I really believe is being drawn towards a higher state of awareness, consciousness, you know. If you trace it from the Big Bang forward, every step of the way, there's this vector that's moving towards greater order, complexity, consciousness, awareness. And so you can, you can choose to, to put that in whatever frame works for you, but that's the reality of what's going on. And so when we look at, at our industrial uh, past, and neoliberalism, they're just part of that evolutionary process. Fossil fuels are a great example, all right? So, you know, they're anathema to the environmental community, to the, to the you know, to the people that are working on the, on the forefront of climate change. They should be, but we would not be sitting here today having this conversation, you know, looking at each other over Zoom. It would have been impossible with that, without that deep store of solar energy that was laid down by life over millennia so that we could step up to this place. But now we know better and it's time to move. Exactly. Forward, right. Yeah. So just validating that this isn't about, uh, about denigrating any of that, but we need to move forward. And so when you talk about what are the baby steps that we can take again, I've spent a lot of the last two decades focused on being in action around the environment, social justice, uh, and that is all important work. I would, I would, you know, and but it's not going to get us. It's, it's, you know, like throwing away our styrofoam cups isn't going to get us there. Yeah. <laughs> it's what gets us there is this work on inner transformation. And so like for my money, the most important things we can do is start paying attention to that and, and pay attention to the way that we are in relationship with each other, the rest of life, the whole of reality. And that, I, you know, that may sound too nebulous or too big, but it's not. Uh, it's it is and it isn't from right. where I'm listening. Yeah. Like it, I can see yeah. both both sides of that sword in the sense that you know it. I like personally, I'm absolutely with you unless we transform our consciousness. And through consciousness, we're obviously all connected because right. there's kind of only one of us here. Right. Uh, but unless we do that, it's it's really hard to conceive of another pathway. Yeah. But then also, if we're just um, sitting around under the Bodhi tree, uh, meditating, waiting, um, it's it's like the fear I think that's out there in people is that the, the current leaders of this reality, economic leaders, uh, institutional leaders of religions and governments, mm -hmm. and 
you know, th those, those kind of leaders, um, I think some of them, we, we, we can say that with, without uh, too, too much of a judgment, like <laughs> they, they definitely are not ready for this personal transformation because they're in a different stage of consciousness where they want to accumulate more wealth, power, etc. And so the, the ones who do the transformation, if, if I go in my metaphor here, who yeah. sat under the Bodhi tree for, for a while, I think in my own words, I would say it is our responsibility to now to be able to respond to that current leadership and create a new leadership of consciousness. But where we haven't currently fully succeeded, I have full faith we will, but it's, it's going to take quite a bit of work and quite a bit of probably uncomfortable work in bringing consciousness into the uncomfortable spaces. I think that's absolutely right, Julian. The, um, and I'm not advocating for sitting under the Bodhi tree. I think we need to do that. We, I mean, you know, the, 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 the work that we do on ourselves, both uh, in personal practice and in community, is, is it's critically important. But we also need to be able to show up in the world and, and act from that place. Uh, and, and that's part of what's changing. But I would disagree with you in terms of what I find consistently these days is that most people are waiting for the invitation to show up in a different way. And we have the uh, capability, you know, when, you, uh, when, when you're working on your own evolution, you get to a place where you have to take a step. You have to be willing to show up in a different way in the world. And when you do that, when you show up in, in this different way, other people just start participating. So I work with business people all the time. Uh, you know, I did, did a, uh, uh, workshop symposium with a group of Wall Street executives not too long ago that uh, not the kind of people that you would expect to want to go there. And it was, it was framed within the context of emergent exponential technologies uh, and partnered with technologists so that they could talk about how their businesses might relate to these emergent exponential technologies. But then we turned the conversation around to who we are and work with them doing some deep practices to, to in, you know, creating a very safe environment and end of the day with a, a long Jeffersonian dinner. Um, so there were about 20 people there and the whole evening's conversation was focused on their experience of the, you know, the work that we were doing that was connecting them to themselves and each other, not on the emergent exponential technologies. And that's just one example of many where I think if we are willing to step into all the spaces that we occupy, you know, and really live from this different perspective, other people are attracted to show up in a different way too. And it becomes an on-ramp for them. I like that scenario, the on-ramp scenario and connect yeah. to, to the leadership and maybe formerly adverse scenarios. I have a few more questions for you, Sandy, and, and one I want to circle back to what we said a little while ago and, and just um, he, hear from you, like your personal transition from, you know, like uh, successful entrepreneurship into changing the path of, of, of yeah, going into green building and then, 
you know, how, how was that personal transition for you over 20 years ago? Yeah, so, well, I, I, I will say, first of all, that I had a, have a personal predisposition uh, to this. You know, I, I started my adult life in a monastery and, you know, really trying to, as a seeker, left, got involved in the business world, specifically in the world of real estate development construction, and followed a, a kind of traditional career path became very successful in in that domain and then uh, the the catalyst for me was actually in back in the mid 90s working on a, a specific project uh where the the architect and i were out to lunch one day and the architect showed me this little tiny article in an, in an architectural magazine about the environmental impacts of building and i'd been a lifelong environmentalist, outdoors person, um, you know, spent as much time in the natural world as I possibly could, but I'd never connected my love for the natural world and my uh, experience of the environmental problems we were facing with what I was doing for a living. Mm. And so it was that simple connection for me. It just became an itch that I couldn't stop scratching. And so spent you know, years trying to understand it, trying to figure out how I could change my own behavior in that industry. I was an executive in a, a growing company, trying to change that company at the time, and then really trying to figure out how I could help the industry itself change. And that was the spark for me. Uh, and as I, as I shared the story earlier, and then as the green building movement started to explode and I found myself at the center of it, realizing that this process of awakening, if, you, if I can use that word, was happening all around me. And, you know, uh, recognizing that that was, that was the, as I said, the motive force, the energy that was driving the massive change I was seeing, but also fit into the context of this this evolutionary perspective that I keep coming back to. Like, this is what's being called for right now. It's this evolutionary transition. And the, it, the evolution is really an evolution in consciousness, which then translates into how we show up in action in, in our lives, no matter what it is we're doing. And, um, and I feel like this is a, not feel like, you know, I know in the marrow of my bones that this is, this is the very nature of the universe that um, we're responding to. Now, human beings, you know, may or may not navigate the eye of the, eye of the needle, right? We may or may not succeed in making this next evolutionary step, but I'm sure that this process will continue to happen. If not here on earth, maybe in other places in the universe. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I I'm a um a chosen optimist. Uh <laughs> yeah. I, I I look at I look at what's 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 up. I look at the, the things and acknowledge the negativity or the or the trends that are, are opposing, but but then I personally yeah. I, I choose optimism because as you said, this is a process that is much deeper than Mm -hmm. the superficial human mind 
I'm an optimist too. I, you know, and, and, and I've become a realist in, in the sense that I do see that many of the, uh, the negative impacts of our behavior are unavoidable right now. So right. We're right. that needs to be framed when we talk about optimism is that, right. that, that that doesn't mean that only good things will happen. But I think right. this is part of the, the old paradigm consciousness is to, to believe that it's either good or bad and it's either the right solution or the wrong solution. We know it's a, a spiral evolution and in this we will make mistakes and then we'll learn from them. And that's, that's my next question for you is like, what do you think will it take for humanity to actually as a collective, as a whole, to actually learn from its past mistakes. Because if I look into our history, there is a lot of moments, a lot of um, death, a lot of tragedy, a lot of suffering um, that we could have learned from, which, which seems like quicker because we, we've done these you know, um, horrible things to each other on the planet. And then it seems like we, 20 years later, we do it in a different place on the earth again. <laughs> so do you think there is a, a pathway how we could learn? Yeah, but Julian, I, you know, I think that that repetitive pattern is because we're, we continue to operate out of the same paradigm, you know? So it's that shift in paradigm that makes the difference. You know, do you see the world, the, the, let's just call it the world for now, do you see the world as a, uh, a machine where resources are scarce and, you know, the entitlement is to just, you know, take what we need and protect ourselves because you and I are separate and I'm gonna look out for me, right? Or do we see the world as a living whole where we are, we're, and that we're all a part of, just as the cells in our body are a part of a whole, and that we need to, uh, we, we, we would naturally then, you know, seeing from this place, um, care about the whole, act from a place of caring about the whole, give what we can give of our own gifts take what we need you know in a sustainable way so it, it's this it's this difference in paradigm that will enable us to make it and i i too am optimistic that that will happen yeah. i have another question um it's about, yeah. it's about the big picture of trash and i'm just yeah. curious what's your thought around trash and pollution and, and, and both the cycle of it happening, but then also the cycle of us finding alignment and, and, and cleaning, cleaning ourselves up in that sense. Yeah. Well, I think it's possible to clean ourselves up and uh, yeah. And to move towards a circular economy, you know, to use the current buzzword for that. Um, I mean, we're, we're, I mean we're, we're at the limit now, right? Like if we keep, if we keep uh, trying to grow and live in this take, make, waste economy, we're just going to bury ourselves in trash and pollution. And uh, that'll be the end. Uh, so there's an there's a urgent necessity for us to change in that regard. And there's a, an invitation for us to change in that regard operating from this new place of understanding. Mm -hmm. I think it's very possible. Yeah, I, I'm with you on the, the possibility for sure. I think what you're saying about the urgent necessity, this is something humanity actually, in my eyes of, of looking at history and also like current affairs and, and this lifetime that I'm, I mean, in, since 33 years, we're actually pretty good in adapting to urgent necessity. 
Mm. We're, we're maybe not as skilled yet to take an invitation early, look at it, ponder it, uh, think and maybe create and try and then see, oh, this didn't work and that didn't work. Let's continue to evolve it. That might be more of the, the future, but, but right now, right here, I think as a species, we're able to adapt to something that is um, like a real threat to us. And so pollution, um, global warming, if you call it that, or if you call it just the, the, the great pollution, if it, if it seems yeah. to be. Um, is a real threat like that, right? Like you can, if you live in Miami or you live in Venice, uh, Italy, or you live in, in parts of uh, Bangladesh that, that are like on, on, on sea level, all these places have an imminent threat. And if they don't respond to it, um, yeah, catastrophes will continue to happen. Right. I have two more questions for you. Yeah. And, and one, one is um, just really grounded about your, uh, your journey on this planet. If you were to name, it's going to be a hard question, but if you, can, if you were to name three places on earth that are your favorite places that you've traveled to, that you've lived in, or that you just love, which ones would that be? Yeah. Well, the first one that comes up for me is a place up in northern Maine called Baxter State Park. Uh, so it's at the northern terminus of the Appalachian Mountain Range in the United States. And it's just a wonderful, wild place that I've been going to since I was in my early 20s. And uh, yeah, it's like a, you know, it's a magical, spiritual place for me. So that's, that's right up at the top of my list. Um, hmm. Three places. That's why it's a hard question because limiting yeah. it to three is difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so many. I, you know, I love the sea as well. And so like without picking a particular place, but there, there is, there's an incredible sense of awe about being out in the open sea. Um, so that's an, you know, just so much there that comes up for me. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, that's already more than three because the open sea, that's like right. an yeah. infinite amount right. of infinite amount of places. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those are the places that come up for me. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much for this answer. I'm, I'm always curious. And I think if I were to be asked this question, it would probably be a different answer almost every time. Because as you said, there are so many places that when we fully become present and immerse into the beauty, it, it, the planet talks to us. Yeah. And so my last question is what, what got me to start the Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And that is, the question is pretty simple. The question is, what is your Earth vision? The context for it is in a seven generational way of looking at the world. So if we were to look at the world into seven generations into the future, you know, which is roughly like 200, 210 years, you, you're working on the great transition project. So, so you, you definitely have like looked into that, um, that, uh, yeah, you know, that kaleidoscope of possibilities. And what's your, what's your dream for the earth, Sandy? Yeah. Uh. My dream would be that we navigate this next century of challenge successfully, that we emerge 
uh, you know, with an, with this new level of awareness, consciousness, whatever you choose to call it, the new paradigm, um, that every human be being is, um, is treasured and is, uh, supported in living a fulfilled life where their, their purpose is, um, celebrated and lifted up and, and they're able to do that. And that our relationship with the rest of life and the planet becomes whole and integrated. Um, yeah. And, you know, that we continue this grand adventure, uh, you know, following this evolutionary trajectory and, and, and which there's no way to predict. I mean, I, I, you know, and in my vision, it's not like going back to a more primitive, primitive time. It's really moving forward to continue to advance our knowledge of the, the way that the universe works to, to continue to advance our technologies in alignment with this new perspective of consciousness and our relationship to life. Yeah. That's, that's what I would. I, Powerful. Yeah. I, lo I love that last part yeah. going forward into a, an alignment between our potent technology and our earth wisdom. Yeah. It seems so, as you said earlier, like you can't go back once you reach this point, because it seems so clear actually, once we reach this level of understanding that that is the direction and that is the direction that will, embrace everyone in every different way of being including the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom to to create yeah. a, a thriving a thriving planet mm -hmm. sandy thank you so much for your time for your willingness to to re record a conversation to for some of your insights and yeah if there's anything else you'd, you'd love to share or anything you'd like to point at um please feel free okay thank you julian it's been a pleasure that's that another episode of green planet blue planet podcast i hope you truly enjoyed this one and received some insights knowledge and a form of learning that you can directly apply to your life into your relationships or maybe even into your business and the way you show up for the world because this is a movement and we're all part of it and we're in this together we're here to create a world of a triple bottom line where you win i win and the entire planet wins we're raising consciousness together, and you know that. That's why you're listening. That's why I love you. So make sure to share the love. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Invite a friend to listen to a Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And if you have an idea who else you'd like me to interview, make sure you reach out and send me a suggestion. Definitely check out greenplanet-blueplanet.com, the website to the podcast. I've created a lot of different offers for you, free content, free meditations for you to amplify your connection to self, the state of social impact in the world, and for you to connect and listen to who you could support of the people that I actually interview because their missions are ongoing and a lot of them need more collaboration. And after more than 100 episodes now with some of the world's leading social impact experts, I have synthesized my most inspired learnings and takeaways to create coaching and mentorship programs for you and the people around you. Let me share with you about planetary purpose coaching and mentorship experiences. If you're in a space in your life where you're ready to level up to amplify who you are, what's coming through you and what you're doing to give your gift to the world, 
then I would love to hear from you and I'd love for you to apply to one of my private mentorships or group mentorships. Last but not least, there's a few different group experiences I host both in person and online. All of them are quantum learning environments and I'm happy to tell you more. So simply inform yourself and stay connected because whatever resonates with you, I'm here to support you and bring out more purpose into the world. And with that being said, wherever you are in the world, make sure to be you, show up all the way, be all in, connect with someone today, make them smile, have yourself a stellar day. Lots of love to you and until soon. 